Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Holy, holy, and our hearts bow before you in the presence of your holiness. We ask that you renew our passion for worshiping you a biblical way. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. 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 If you love the Lord and his word, say amen. 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 God bless you. You can be seated. I doubt, I really seriously doubt that you've ever wondered what keeps a pastor awake at night. But I'm going to tell you anyway. It's not the next board meeting. It's not the next church service. Something else um, keeps pastors awake. Christian pollster George Barna conducted a survey and found, according to his survey, he said two-thirds, around 66% of regular church attendees say they have never experienced God's presence at a church service. Isn't that amazing? Those are the kind of stats that concern church leaders, or should keep them awake at night. If, if one of the primary purposes of the church is to worship, and yet folks have experienced no presence of God at that worship service, I mean, no, that's kind of concerning. Yeah. I mean, even evangelism is about God's desire for more worshipers. And, and this morning, we call this a worship service. Because it's supposed to bring us together to worship God, right? And yet, two-thirds of attendees say they don't experience God's presence in worship services. And, and my first thought is, maybe they just didn't realize they were in God's presence. But then I look in Scripture and I discover that usually, somebody say usually, usually in Scripture there's no mistaking God's presence. I mean, we feel it. We experience it. We sense it. It's usually not something we miss. Then I thought, maybe it's just that we're just so used to showing up to church and not experiencing God's presence that we're not expecting it. We're not expecting a lot. Maybe some come here today without expecting God's presence. Maybe you come today without, expe- without expecting to meet God. Maybe it's just a matter of our expectations. I don't know. To be honest, for example, when I go to McDonald's, I don't go expecting a great meal. Huh? I mean, if, if my fries are warm and my burger's edible, that's a successful trip to McDonald's. <laughs> my standards for McDonald's are not that high. So I'm seldom disappointed. 
Anyone here work at McDonald's? Oh, I didn't mean your McDonald's. It's the other one. So maybe, maybe we're the same when we come to church. Our standards have dropped, so if the songs aren't bad and the sermon keeps us awake, that's a successful trip to church. We just never expect to encounter God there. Oh, church, but Scripture describes for us a God who desires for us to encounter Him, for us to experience Him while we worship. God's highest desire is to fellowship with us. When we worship God, we get to meet, we get to interact directly with the King of the universe. And, and this text here in Isaiah teaches us about true, authentic, biblical worship. And, and in this passage, the prophet Isaiah encounters God in a worship service. And that, that transpires in that, and what transpires in that encounter instructs us about real, authentic worship. I was reminded just this week about A.W. Tozer. Uh, he was a godly man, died back in the early 60s, I believe. He was a minister. He authored some 40, I think, 40 books. And, and one of the hallmarks of his long-term ministry was his desire that the church be engaged in true biblical worship. And, and Tozer was highly critical of what passed for worship in many American churches of his day. Of his day. And that was back in the 60s. Think of what it would be like today if Tozer was in many churches. And so this is what he wrote. He wrote uh, many things, and this is what he said. He said, I quote, he said, It's now common practice in most evangelical churches to offer the people, especially the young people, a maximum of entertainment and a minimum of serious instruction. He said, It is scarcely possible in most places to get anyone to attend the meeting where the only attraction is God. He said, one can only conclude that God's professed children are simply bored with him. So they must be wooed to meet with him through candy, candy that comes in the form of religious movies, refreshments, game nights, Kent Hughes, in his book, Disciplines of Godly Man, awesome book, gentlemen, if you ever find it, get it. He echoes Tozer's earlier concerns, and I quote, he says, The unspoken but increasingly common assumption of today's Christendom is that worship is primarily for us to meet our needs. Such worship services are entertainment-focused, and the, notice this, the worshipers are uncommitted spectators who are silently grading the performance. I'm afraid those statements are true of far too many in, of churches today in America. As people enter into the sanctuary every Sunday, they might as well be given scorecards to rate the performance because that's what it has become. They rate the preaching. They rate the singing. They rate the musicians. They rate the technology. They rate the clothes that people are wearing. They even rate the heating and the air conditioning. Everything gets a score. 
Ask a person to define worship these days, and most folks will tell you something about what happens in the sanctuary of the church they attend. They'll tell you about the kind of music that's played, whether it's fast, slow, courses, hymns. They'll tell you about the preacher, whether he's funny or engaging or traditional and boring. They'll tell you about how convenient a time they meet, how, how the church schedule will fit into their busy work schedule in the week and so forth. But, but God is not mentioned. Why, why, why did we come to worship service this morning? I know some of us are just in a habit of coming. Some attend out of pressure. Maybe somebody finagled you to come. Is finagled even a word? Maybe you promised somebody you'd come. If they go with you here, you'd go with them here. And so, so, so some are here. You may be coming this morning seeking fellowship. Some of you may be here and you're hurting. Sometimes it's, it's the death of a loved one that brings us to church. Sometimes it's, uh, it's the end of a marriage and the rebellion of a, a, a prodigal that brings us to church. Maybe you've come here today to be entertained. But I really believe this passage in Isaiah helps us recover. Everybody say recover. Recover biblical worship. Why we should come to the house of God. One of the reasons I believe this text is an appropriate text to teach us about biblical worship is because it doesn't even mention the things we usually hear when worship is defined. We don't, we don't read here in the text about a conveniently scheduled church service. We, we don't read about an engaging 30-minute sermon. You don't even read about any music. Those things have their place. Right? But in all and of themselves, they have little to do with true biblical worship. Matt Redman, Christian artist, wrote a book entitled The Unquenchable Worshipper. Uh, in chapter 8 of his book, Redman writes about how God inspired the words to the worship song we sing sometimes around here called The Heart of Worship. How many remember that song, The Heart of Worship? Um, Redman said that he wrote that song after an experience in his home church in England. He said their church got to the point where they had become spiritually uh, dry. He said, oh, don't get me wrong, he said the music was good but it had only the sound of professionalism. He said uh, it had all become about performance and little about God. And so one day, he said, his pastor decided church would strip away all the musical instruments for a season. There was no sound system going to be used, no band leading the worship, the church was led to think about what they were bringing themselves every Sunday as an offering of worship to God. In time, he said, the church learned to bring the offering of their hearts. And so Redmond writes, and I quote, stripping everything away, we slowly started to rediscover the heart of worship. He said, and I quote, after a while, the worship band and the sound system reappeared, but he said, now it was different because the songs of our hearts had caught up with the songs of our lips. Amen. Oh, that's what really needs to happen. And so Redmond wrote the song about what happens when the music fades and all is stripped away. Remember the course, it says, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. 
because it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it when it's all about you. So, so it is with this passage in Isaiah. It reminds us that biblical worship is not about music. Biblical worship is primarily not about the different worship styles we prefer, worship times and worship schedules. I want us to see what happens this morning when worship is authentic, worship is true, and when it is biblical. What does true biblical worship look like? What happens when worship is biblical? First of all, I've got I've got, I think, four points here, and let's go. Number one, first, when worship is biblical, number one, we will commune with a holy God. Amen. That is in verses one through four of the text. Because a holy God, everybody say holy, holy. is the first thing that gets your attention in the first few verses. He says, I saw the Lord, and he is Holy, he's high and lifted up. And, and he tells us that he encountered God, and it happened to be in the year that King Uzziah died. That's the year 740 B.C. And Isaiah says, I want to tell you something that happened to me that year that I'll never forget. I saw the Lord. Amen. And he was on a throne. He was high and lifted up. And he said the train of his robe filled the temple. And Isaiah continues describing his encounter with God in verse 2. And the seraphim or seraphs activity around the holy throne, uh, 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 the holy God. And now seraphim is the plural form of seraph. A seraph was an angelic kind of being created by God to glorify himself. Okay, our minds fail to fully appreciate exactly what these creatures look like. Okay, the word seraphim is literally in the Hebrew burning one burning ones. So these heavenly creatures remind us of the burning glory of God. And what the seraphim do with their wings in this text is symbolic. Isaiah says with two he covered his face. That symbolizes the absolute purity of God and that to gaze upon him is a bit like looking into pure sunlight. And when Isaiah goes on, he says, and with two wings, each seraph covered their feet. That action symbolizes the humility of these heavenly creatures. So the covering of their eyes and feet said, we dare not look upon God, and then we dare not stand in his presence. In these verses, the Lord is described as holy, holy, holy. Now, the word holy is repeated three times for emphasis. And the Hebrew way to underscore something was to simply repeat it for emphasis. And it's one thing to be holy. It's another thing to be holy, holy. But it's still another thing to be holy, holy, holy. Seven out of every 12 references to God's name in the Old Testament contain the word holy. And it's at that point of each of these winged creatures that God is described as being absolutely holy in his attributes. See, holiness really is the chief attribute of God. The seraphim did not cry out, love, love, love. He didn't even cry out, mercy, mercy, mercy. No, they cried out, holy, holy, holy. Why? Because more than anything else, God is a holy God. 
Holiness is, is God's chief attribute. And, and it is this main thing that makes God who he is. And it is this chief attribute in which every other attribute flows. All right? So because God is holy, he is perfect love. Because God is holy, he is perfect mercy. Because God is holy, he is perfect grace. Because he is holy, he is perfect power. Because God is holy, he is perfect knowledge, and, and so on and so forth. So God's holiness is that quality of God that makes him separate from every other created being. You know, we are separated from God because of our sin. God is separated from us because of his holiness. So when we worship, and when worship is biblical, you and I begin to actually commune with this holy God. No, I, I wonder if that's what we really think about every time we get up in the morning. And, and I'm not just talking about Sundays. I, I mean Monday through Saturday too. You and I were created for the purpose of communing with a holy God. Whether we worship Him individually or collectively. We worship God by the way we think. By the way we talk. By the way we walk. And God is a holy God. And we are not worshiping. Worshiping Him rightly and biblically if we're not communing with Him in that holiness. And someone said, if you really want to know what a people think about God, watch how they worship Him. I can't speak for you this morning, but my heart's prayer is that God renew my passion for worshiping Him and seeing Him as a holy, holy, holy God. May I get a fresh vision of His holiness like Isaiah did. When worship is biblical, we, number one, commune with a holy God. Secondly, when worship is biblical, we will be contrite before a holy God. Look at Isaiah's response to the holiness of God. It's in verse 5. Because when Isaiah encountered God's holiness, he saw his own sinfulness. He said, woe is the person beside me. Huh? Woe is my spouse who I haven't been getting along with. No. Woe is me. I'm the one that's undone. I'm the man of unclean lips. That's the way of saying, that's his way of saying, I'm not even worthy to speak a single word. Because I'm in the presence of holiness. And I know my own heart. And Isaiah says, it's not just me. He said, all of our nation. He says, I dwell in the midst of, an, of a people of unclean lips. Now Paul said it this way in Romans 8, uh, 3.23. He says, all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew uh, 12, 34? Jesus said it this way, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So Isaiah recognizes that his heart, there must be something going on in his heart because his, his heart is not clean, his lips are not clean because it's from the abundance of the heart that the mouth is speaking. So he... He refrains from speaking. He said, I can't speak. 
Now, the point is, do we see this contrition, this, this repentance, this apology here? Because when worship is biblical, we'll be contrite before the holy God. Uh, can I say it this way? We'll even be broken. Yeah. We'll see our wretched shortcomings when that pure light of God's holiness shines in. Why? Because light always reveals imperfections, right? It always reveals the issues. I mean, that's why I don't like eating in a dimly lit restaurant. I'm like, what are they trying to hide around here? Come on now. Isaiah is saying, when I was confronted with a holy God, something happened to me. As I gazed upon his holiness, the pure light of God's holiness revealed my imperfections. This same thing happened to Peter when he, you remember that incident where he caught all the fish after he obeyed Christ's words? And he said, whoa, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. See, when worship is biblical, things like this happen. When we commune with a holy God, we'll be contrite, humble, no room for pride in true worship. Hello? We dare not come to worship service with a, with a scorecard in our hands. We, we dare not come in and sit down in our pew ready to rate everything that happens. If we do, we've missed the heart of worship. When we encounter the holiness of God, it, it breaks us. And it can happen while you're singing the song. It can happen when the soloist is singing. It can happen while somebody is praying. It can happen while somebody's preaching. But it needs to happen for worship to be biblical. And you and I enter this place realizing all of us no doubt have our uh, hiccups and hang-ups and issues. And, and we come to worship the one true God. And we remember maybe, oh, you know... Um, I acted out a sort last week. Hmm? We remember uh, what we said, what we thought. Perhaps we even remember what we did this morning when little Johnny was taking too long to get in the car to come to church. See, we remember all these things. And then when we get in God's presence, we're like, God, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Because when worship is biblical, we'll commune with a holy God. Then we'll be contrite before a holy God. But then thirdly, when worship is biblical, we'll be cleansed by a holy God. Because that contrition leads to cleansing. When we gaze upon God's holiness, we are gripped by our own sinfulness, and that leads to cleansing, the forgiveness of sin. The closer we get to God, the more unworthy we should feel. Did you hear that? Many people said, I, I, I'm trying to live a Christian life, but it just seems I'm like not getting anywhere. Listen, the closer you get to God, the more you see your shortcomings. The more you see your own filth, right? 
In verses 6 and 7, one of the seraphim flies over to Isaiah, touches his lips with a live uh, burning coal from off the altar. That action symbolizes the cleansing of God. The coal was taken from the very altar itself, the holy place where incense was burned, animals were sacrificed for sin. And the seraph says, behold, Isaiah, behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. God's cleansing of Isaiah's sin through the seraph, I believe, is a beautiful foreshadowing of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Like Isaiah, we tremble at the presence of a holy God. God is separated from us because of His holiness. We are separated from Him because of our sinfulness. And we gaze upon His holiness and we're gripped by our own sinfulness and we realize that we can bring nothing to God to improve our own condition. We are undone like Isaiah says through and through. And we may try to live a good life, but we still mess up. We may try to be good people in the workplace, good neighbors, good business partners, good community leaders, but we know too well the inner recesses of our own heart and out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks and we would cry out with Isaiah, woe is me for I'm a person of unclean lips. And we say, all right, how can I fix this problem? Well, the problem with that is we can't fix it. Someone must fix the problem for us. And just as Isaiah received the atoning, forgiving, cleansing work that came through the seraph, so you and I receive that atoning work of Jesus Christ. Somebody ought to say, thank God for Jesus. Because like the hymn writer of Rock of Ages said, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Hallelujah. Somebody that's thankful for the cross, you ought to raise your hands and say, thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice on the cross. Because when worship is biblical, we commune with a holy God. Secondly, we are contrite before a holy God. And then thirdly, we'll be cleansed by a holy God. But then fourthly and finally, we will commit to a holy God. Once we've been cleansed, we're ready to commit. Isaiah has been cleansed from his sin. So when God calls him, he's ready to go in verse 8. He said, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I. Send me. I want you to notice the progression here. Confrontation with holiness led to contrition, which led to cleansing, which then finally led to commitment. See, I mean, there's a change that takes place in the response of Isaiah in, in verse 5 and verse 8. There's something happened here between those verses. Because in verse 5, he says, woe is me, I'm undone. In verse 8, he says, here am I, send me. Right? That change takes place because Isaiah has experienced a God-giving cleansing. Praise God. Listen, God can't really use us in a powerful way until we've experienced that cleansing. Listen, and I'm talking about something ongoing. Every time we worship, we come before God and we can receive His cleansing. Did you hear me, church? 
Hello. That's why after a service we can then sing, Jesus use me. Oh Lord, don't refuse me. That's what Isaiah was singing afterwards. Uh, listen, someone said the greatest uh, ability in the world is availability. And when we think upon the fact that God has forgiven us of our sin, we want to serve Him wherever He leads us. We want to worship Him through the singing, through the preaching, through the teaching, through the evangelism, through ministering and serving others. If we don't want to serve Him, it may be because we've never experienced His cleansing and His forgiveness. And when we truly encounter God in worship, Isaiah would testify, it inspired me to serve Him. Praise God. No wonder, listen folks, no wonder the devil doesn't want us worshiping biblically. Hmm? When people have met with God, it has changed the entire course of their lives. Hallelujah. When people have met with God, listen, when Moses met with God at the age of 80, it changed his life's direction. When Isaiah met with God, he answered the call to serve. When Paul met with God on the road to Damascus, he became a new person and went from a terrorist to an evangelist. Listen, meeting with God inspires us to serve Him. And that's why we worship, because in worship we experience the presence of God. We see ourselves more accurately and we are freed from the guilt because His cleansing has touched our lips and our hearts and now we are inspired to serve Him. But even more, the real reason to worship God simply is because He is worthy. I said, church, He is worthy. Even if worship did nothing for us, we still worship Him because He is worthy. Somebody say He's worthy. I feel the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Praise God. Why don't somebody just worship Him? I said, why don't somebody just worship Him for a moment? Because if we don't worship Him here, the rocks would lose their cool and burst out with praise. That's what Jesus said. We ultimately worship because God is seeking for worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. I feel the Holy Ghost. You came here today expecting something. I hope it was more than just a sermon. God's deepest longing is to fellowship with you. I said His deepest longing is to fellowship and He desires us to experience His presence. He wants to meet with every one of us. Oh, hallelujah. How many can say, I want to encounter God in this worship service? Oh, I feel His presence. I said, I feel His presence. Oh, while somebody, why don't you just go ahead and acknowledge His holiness. Holy. Somebody say, holy, holy, holy. Oh, go ahead, say it three times. He's holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. God, we're acknowledging Your presence, but we're also acknowledging Your holiness, and we renew our commitment to obey Your Word. Oh, somebody ought to say, Holy, holy is the Lord. Anybody in the house ex expecting to experience God? Anybody want to say, I don't want to go home without encountering God? 
Thank you, Jesus. Sis Jones, you can come. I'm getting very close. Oh, I feel his presence. Let's not be among the two-thirds in the evangelical church world that have never experienced God in a worship service. He's called us to worship. Hallelujah. He's put that desire in us, that passion to worship. Hallelujah. Annie, Annie Sullivan. Annie Sullivan was Helen Keller's teacher. You remember Helen Keller? She was both blind and deaf. Annie Sullivan would, would spell out words in her hand. One day Annie Sullivan spelled out in Helen Keller's hand and said, Today, I'm going to teach you about God. Helen Keller spelled back in Annie Sullivan's hand and said, Good because I've been thinking about him for a long time. And I heard that and I said nobody had ever, they said nobody up until that time had ever told Helen Keller about God, but in her heart of hearts. She had been thinking about God for a long time. Why? Because I believe God has created us with a desire to worship him. Hallelujah. In fact, that's the very meaning of the word worship. It literally means to attribute worth or worship. We're here to worship God. We're here to say, God, you're more worthy than anything down here. I want to want. Holy, holy, holy. As we stand together, I wonder if we could pray. God, would you renew our passion? To worship a holy God. God forgive us for coming to church. For the wrong reasons. Forgive us for not making corporate worship a priority. Forgive us. For silently keeping a scorecard. Oh I feel the Holy Ghost. Thank you Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Is there anybody in this sanctuary that like Isaiah, you came this morning and you're saying, I need to see Jesus. I need to see Jesus. If that's you, I want you to step out of your seat and come and stand across this front because we're going to worship in just a moment. We're going to worship because it's in that it's in that atmosphere of worship. We encounter, like Isaiah did, the very presence and the very glory and the very holiness of God. Anybody there coming? Anybody else? You say, I've come this morning and I want to worship Jesus. I want Him to, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. You, you come this morning. He'll renew your passion for worship this morning. He'll renew your heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. Sister Jones, that's what I want us to sing. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Look at the screens real quickly with me, would you? He said, when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come. How many can say, I'm just simply here this morning? 
longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart you say I don't have anything that's worth anything yes you do it's your heart God doesn't care about your bank account at this moment. He doesn't care about your Cadillac out there in the parking lot or your Lincoln. Listen, he cares about what's in your heart. And so you say, for a song. We at Broadway want to say thank you for joining us in worship today via online. We want to invite you to like our Facebook page as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel. And please, if you don't mind, share us across your social media platforms. Let me just say a quick prayer of blessing today as we just conclude our time together in this video. Jesus, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for this avenue of worship that we have to utilize our online tools and furthering your gospel, furthering your kingdom. I pray that you would bless those who have tuned in today. Keep your hand on them. Minister to their hearts. Minister to their minds. And God, just do a work in their lives. We love you, Jesus, and we praise your holy name. Amen.